people think that the money is going to free them. And the reality is the money didn't free these people in particular. It became a prison for them because now they're in a scarcity mindset. This can't be it. There has to be more. Wait, am I crazy? No. If you're yearning for more and working hard to make your dreams a reality, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Dreamcatchers. It's the only show committed to helping you self-actualize and then transcend, leaving you with the legacy you've always desired. Listen in on conversations with successful philanthropists, entrepreneurs, and founders every week as we connect with them for inspiration, education, and direction. Your host, Jerome Myers, is here to help you exit the matrix and transform into a leader of your own revolution. The question is, do you believe your dreams should be real? Hello and welcome to a special three-part mini-series that I am going to be the co-host for with Jerome Myers on this Dreamcatchers podcast. I have been really challenging Jerome to really unpack this founder's exit paradox. And we're going to take three episodes and we're going to do a deep, deep dive. Now, I want everybody to understand what Jerome is bringing to you is not seen in the world of people selling their businesses, right? Most business owners are only focused on this one life event. And that life event is getting the big check, right? And there are lots of people who can help you get the big check, but then something happens after you get the big check. And in today's episode of the Founders Exit Paradox, we're going to talk about emotions unveiled. So Jerome, are you ready to uh, dive deep on this, my friend? We're going to get ready, Matt. Thank you so much for helping me do this, man. It's been a phenomenal ride, and I just don't know if we're ever going to stop. No, but I, my, my goal is never to stop. But this is just, this is so needed in the world. You know, as a, you know, a fellow entrepreneur, you know, I think about this stuff on a regular basis. And I'm just very, very honored that you're giving me the opportunity to ask you some difficult questions so that we can unpack this so that the audience can truly understand what they need to know about what you do for a living. All right, here's the first one. Let's just lay the groundwork. What is the founder's exit paradox? Yeah, so I think the best way I can describe it, and I've been looking for a metaphor for a while, but I think the best way I can describe it is when you think about the head cheerleader or the football captain in high school, and if you've been to one of those reunions and you show up, and you see those people in the exact same way that they were when they were in high school. And it's the person peaked and then they got stuck and they don't know what's next. And so they just stay there, continuing to do the same thing. We see this happen with founders. Their business plateaus, revenue stops, growth stops, and they're just running along. And they're trying to make a decision. Well, do I get out? Do I keep going? And they don't have an answer because they don't know what they're going to exit to. They don't know what's next. And that not knowing what's next is the thing that keeps them trapped. And so their identity is tied into it. And so if I had to say the exit founders paradox is this, if we were doing a definition in the dictionary, I would say it's the unraveling, it's the decoupling from the enterprise that was built by a founder. And the inroads, the the roots of that deepen with age. 
So somebody who's only been in the business for a year or two, they may feel like they can move on to the next thing because it hasn't been a part of their life. Somebody who's been doing it for 18 to 30 years, they're going to have a different experience. They're going to start talking about the thing like it's their kid. But, but it is, Jerome. I mean, in, in you, you've experienced this. I experience this daily still now is we are so wrapped up in our businesses because we're doing something that we're fiercely passionate about. And it's really, really important for us to see it through whatever the fruition it is. And we're going to dive into more deeply the time in and the emotional issues out, right? So that's, we're actually going to be covering that on today's uh, episode. But I want to ask you, when did you have this epiphany, the realization that you are going to be the person who has highly emotionally charged conversations with ridiculously successful people who never thought they would need to have these conversations. Yeah, I was at a business conference and I'm standing in the back of the room and the guy's giving a presentation on the seven steps to have a double unicorn exit. And unicorn means that you sold your business for over a billion dollars. And he goes through the presentation and I'm halfway listening to the majority of it because I'm like, I don't really care about a billion dollar exit. And he says, yeah, my wife said to me that I was having an existential crisis and she wanted me to get off the couch and she didn't care if I got a job at McDonald's. She wanted me to go somewhere and do something. And so I, that was probably 10 minutes before he ended his talk. And so then we get to Q&A and I get the talk box and I say, hey, you ready for this? And he says, I don't know, but with the lead in like that, I'm going to get ready. And I said, <laughs> okay, here we go. How did you get out of your crisis? And he said, oh, you know, one thing is most people, I don't spend much time talking about it because most people are not interested in a rich guy complaining about him not having an identity or some of the other challenges that come with the founder's exit paradox. And he didn't use founder exit paradox because it didn't exist at that point, but he, he was talking about the founder's exit paradox. And he said, so, you know, many of us don't want to appear to be ungrateful. Many of us are challenged or struggling with what's next. And that's an internal problem. I don't think anybody on the outside can help us. I was like, okay, that's interesting. He yeah. said, but to answer your question, I'll let you know when I get out of it. And here I am sitting with somebody who I believe has an eight or nine figure net worth who's struggling with this problem. And then I thought about my exit from corporate America. And I was running a $20 million business there. And it was something that I took from zero to 20 million. And I thought about what happened when I walked out. Now, I thought I knew what was next, but what was next wasn't actually what was next. There were some steps that had to happen before I got to the next, but I didn't have anybody to in, to guide me, to let me know what was going to happen around the corner or to even really bounce ideas off of. And so I struggled through it. But I just remember the phone calls to people I used to work with because they were as close to family as I had was when I thought about how many hours I was working and they were doing the things I needed to get done 
because I couldn't do all the stuff that we were doing by myself. And I realized all of that was gone. And so my self-image was gone. My relationships were gone and my work was gone. And so we know from the red pill model that those three things are the sources of all your stress. Great. I don't have the stress of those things because they don't exist. What a void. What a void. And so when I put those two things together, I said, let's go and figure out who's actually working on this problem. Like, who is the go-to expert for this? And you were with me. And we started yeah. searching. Yeah, we did. And we found two papers, I believe. Yeah. And one was a case study done by somebody at, I don't know, Princeton. And then there was an article from, like, in the Harvard Business Review. And that was everything that we saw. Everything else was very scholarly counseling or therapy type publications. And it wasn't targeted at an entrepreneur exiting a business, having a major financial windfall and the challenges associated with that, which for all intents and purposes, and there's no uh, shade here, most counselors don't know what to do with a significant amount of wealth, right? So the people, as you alluded to already, are going to financial advisors to tell them what to do with the money. Mm -hmm. They're going to mergers and acquisitions professionals to help them figure out how to maximize the valuation of the business. They're not going regularly that I know of to counselors or therapists to talk about their mental framework. They don't think those folks get them. They can't talk to their friends and family about it because usually they're the apex performer in their circle or their network. And so they're left to figure out what to do with the pot of gold and then to try to figure out what to do with their life. There's just a void. There's a gap. And I think in order to do something that big, build something that big and successfully exit it, not run it into the ground and shut it down, that it takes a talented person. And a talented person shouldn't be put out to pasture <laughs> when they still have so much life ahead of them. And I think there is a real opportunity for them to actually solve the problem they've been trying to solve their whole life. And they thought money was going to solve it. But then when they got the money, they found out that it didn't solve it, which is the grandest illusion of them all. So just that little section we can spend like three days talking about, because I think that there's a lot of people who just think money is the solution to all of their issues and don't get either of us wrong. It really does help. But when you're throwing money into a deep, huge gaping hole in your soul, because you don't have some stuff figured out and then you're thrust into this void that you keep referring to where all of your closest friends are work friends. We know that. I mean, you've experienced it. I've experienced it. Entrepreneurs experience it this left and right. And then on top of that, we don't have a job anymore. We don't know what we're going to be doing with all of our time during the day. It is a major existential crisis. But there are emotions attached to this crisis that through the research that you've done, and I want to go back to that very quickly, you and I spent weeks 
Googling and trying different algorithmic questions to find people who maybe even offered these services. And we just kept coming up blank. And, and you just said, Matt, there's nobody out there who's really, really managing this. And then you've been deconstructing it since then. And one of the biggest parts of the deconstruction are the common emotional reactions. So let, let, let's talk about that. Yeah, it's really interesting because with the Founders Exit Paradox, you've got all of, you had this event where it's supposed to be an amazing feeling. It's supposed to be a celebration. And what you end up with is a hope. And I don't think that people would say that they're sad. What I would say is they feel lost. They feel like they are in the middle of the ocean in a sailboat, but they don't know how to sail. They've got the options to do whatever they want to do and whenever they want to do it and how and probably with who they want to do it with because they can just pay for them to be there with them. But they don't have a way to actually figure out what that is. And the last thing I would say is they probably feel worthless, right? And the worthless part comes from the fact that they're not contributing anymore on the backside, at least not in the way that they were. So when you had the business and you had the title, you could go into the business and make the impact, right? You could say, oh, we're going to focus on this for the next quarter, or we need to work on this strategic initiative or insert whatever thing. We're going to move and promote this person and we're going to slide this other person over here. And they could see cause and effect. But now that's over. They might be able to go and stand in the kitchen with their spouse and say, I'm going to cook today. And the spouse says, no, I've been cooking for the past 20 years while you've been out conquering the world. You're not welcome in my kitchen. I've seen and heard of those stories. They may try to hang out and hover with the kids, but the kids have been busying themselves with their cell phones. And so they're not interested. Their friends that they used to work with, well, they're still working. And so they're looking for their place. They're looking for their ability to make impact. And those emotions are very difficult for people who have had a lot of success to deal with. And they don't want to talk about it with their friends. They don't want to talk about it with a therapist more often than not, because I think the feeling that most of these folks push down is how do you feel? They'll tell you what they have done, right. but there's always the struggle with the right now. They'll talk about how they felt in the past or they'll talk about how they're going to feel in the future whenever X thing happens. But this thought that you're going to talk about how I feel right now, there's a level of vulnerability and exposure that I don't think many of them are comfortable with. No, not especially a highly successful eight-figure exit entrepreneur. I mean, there's a lot of machismo. There's a lot of, you know, chest thumping and all of the stuff that, that no matter what gender you ascribe to, you have that bravado, right? I mean, that's just part of the world that they live in. And then all of the sudden that rug is proverbial pulled out from un under them and, and they don't know where they are. And, and I want to spend a little bit more time on that because as I'm hearing you explain this, I listed some things here uh, on a document that I, I have in preparation for the show today. So you said alone and lost, 
right? We've already talked about that they don't have anybody to talk to. You use the word worthless, which I think people heard you say that and say, well, wait, wait a second. What do you mean worthless? They're not worth a billion dollars or a 10, a hundred million dollars. People who are listening, and especially a lot of the founders, will be ascribing their worth to an actual number because that's the world that they lived in. Jerome, when you helped build the $20 million business, you were all over the spreadsheets and the PL statements and you know, all the projections, all of the things that you did when you ran that business. You've done that with your multi, you know, your multifamily, your real estate. You and I both know those spreadsheets. The listeners know those spreadsheets. And then all of a sudden, and one of the things that I wrote here is all of that's gone. Like gone. the structure of your day, the expectations that everybody's put on you. What do you do with your time? Can you deconstruct that just a little bit more for us, please? Yeah. So imagine everything that you are familiar with and comfortable with going away, except maybe a romantic relationship. What would you do? What would you fill it with? And most people are so busy with what's going on that they can't even begin to imagine that. They're just caught up in the rigmarole of the day. And when you step back and actually begin to consider, if I didn't have to do all the things that I'm doing now, what would I do? For Most people just go to the obligatory, I don't know. And then they stay there and then say, I'll figure it out if I ever get there. I think it's an awful mistake that people are making because their relationship, like all relationship, their relationship with their business, like all relationships is going to end at some point. Now, whether it ends with you getting a big old check or a wire, or it ends with you closing it, or it ends with you giving it to somebody that you're fond of, it's going to end. So if you've done estate planning, but you haven't done any exit planning for your business, well, guess what? You left a really important part out. Now, your request was that I, I dig into those thoughts and feelings more. And I, I wanted to paint the picture of what that person is actually considering. Now that we're in that space, and like we drop into the founder's mind and we're seeing the world through their eyes. It's like you used to be able to go in and influence things just yeah. by showing up. You walked into the room, people might have set up a little bit stronger. Maybe they closed the website they were on. They tuck out a pen or a notepad just in case you were going to give them something. And now you walk in and people seem to not even notice that you're there. What does that do to your spirit? Then we go to the higher level. You actually have the time to look in the mirror and maybe you look at some old photos. And you see 10 years ago when you were 25 pounds lighter, maybe, if not 50. And you're looking at your appearance and you're saying, what happened? Because you actually have the time now to pause and consider that. So you're asking a question like, did I give up my health to get this wealth? And you might be pondering, should I try to get that back? Do I, since I have time now, should I have a trainer? Should I be working on my health to get better? Going a step further, there's the questions of, should I actually spend the money that I got, right? Mm -hmm. Because many times entrepreneurs delay the gratification. They delay the purchase. 
they decide that it should go back into the business. They don't actually need the thing that they want. And they get into this habit of just pushing stuff off and kicking the can down the road. And with that, should I spend the money? They actually question whether or not they deserve to have the thing. They, they wonder if it was just a fluke and they question whether or not it, people, uh, it's a mistake that this actually happened or who's going to come and take it from them. And that paranoia, I'll, I'll never forget. This was another, like all of these dots, like experiences ended, put me in a space where I'm like, I see this and I see this and I see this. So there's a guy on stage, he was worth $11 million and they're having a talk on how he went from seven-figure net worth to eight-figure net worth. And he said, his biggest fear is living under a bridge. The guy's worth $11 million, and it's not all in real estate, so it's not like he's cash poor. And his biggest fear is living under a bridge. So sometimes people think that the money is going to free them. And the reality is the money didn't free these people in particular. It became a prison for them because now they're in a scarcity mindset. And in that space, you go from, and this was one that I think is going to really resonate with people. A lot of us get addicted to the paycheck, man. We, we yeah. like the, we like when the thing hits mm-hmm. on the 15th and the 30th or the 26th or the 1st or whatever the payday is and whatever the pay frequency is, right? And so you go from that to having a bank account or investment account with more money in it than you've ever had in your life. And your biggest fear, because you got rid of your paycheck, is the money in your bank account running out. And you're trying to figure out, what can I do and to turn on some income? Or what can I do to make sure that this doesn't run out? And you're truly work optional. So once you experience that freedom of being work optional, for a lot of people, the thought of going back is a close second to the thought of running out. And so you're navigating those three or four scenarios as a founder. And guess what? You know your business. You know the business that you're in. You knew what levers to pull in order to spit out profit. Now you're in this world where you don't actually have direct control over the checkbook or the investment decisions anymore. And you might decide to invest in something, but you don't know it that well. You might know an operator, right? But are you really going to come in and take it over? Do you really want a new job? And it's I, I often see uh, guys in particular who have been in their career for 40 or 50 years. And their wives have been with them on that journey. Most of these folks are on, still on their first marriage. And the wife is looking at them and saying, hey, I'm ready for you to come home. It's time for us to do some stuff together now. We're getting closer to the end of our relationship, and I want to enjoy some of the time that we still have together. And I see those guys freak out because they don't know what that is. And again, the influence that they had, the sitting up, the closing the browser, the pen and pad coming out, the what can I do for you today has disappeared. And this is, for me, also very connected to when I went from being an all-conference football player to a freshman on a Division I football team. 
where everybody was all conference or all state. Yep. And it was just like, you aren't special anymore. And you, you got to do some things. And the fact that you did the other stuff before you got here is nice, but it no longer matters. That worthlessness sits in deep. Well, one of the things that I think is so vitally important for people to hear over these next three episodes is it's okay and it's important for you to talk to somebody about this. So there, there is this external perception of what your life should be, and then there's this internal emotional reality that you're experiencing, and all of a sudden you're in this huge void, as you have described it, that you don't really have anybody to talk to. And even if you could find people to talk to, are they going to understand? Because a lot of times they're like, what, what are you upset about? A lot of people want to unlock their ultimate potential, but lack the strategy, support, and stamina necessary to achieve their major goals. They often try to overcome these challenges by trying to do it on their own, causing frustration, fatigue, and eventually failure. We have developed a model for a center life, aka the red pill, to help them bolster their beliefs, gain clarity on their path to success, and provide accountability as they take action on their goals. When they take the red pill, they rapidly accelerate attainment of their goals and begin to experience a life of significance and impact. Want to find out more? Hop over to JeromeMyers.co. Now, let's get back to the episode. You just made $100 million, right? You know, all of your problems are solved. And then all of a sudden, all of these new problems... But there's something that's, there was a question that went around and it still goes around in life coaching circles. And I know you've heard this before, you know, okay. if money was not a concern, what would you do with your life? And, mm -hmm. and it's really interesting because when money is a concern, people have all sorts of answers for that. Okay. But then all of a sudden when money isn't a concern, it's like crickets. So, so let's talk a little bit about how do you foster an environment that allows these unbelievably successful people to be vulnerable with you and have these conversations. Yeah. So the vulnerability is just the fact that they can't say anything that's going to make me judge them. I've lived a lot of life. I've seen a lot of things and there's nothing that they can say that's going to surprise or shock me. And so that's the first part because many of them actually don't show up as their authentic self. They are still wearing masks every day, even though they are the owner, founder, operator, CEO, all the things when they're in the world. Now, once we get past that place and they actually believe that, hey, this guy is actually real, he can hear me, then it's them getting to a place where they know that I actually understand them and where they're coming from. So, we do that in a couple of different ways, but the way that's probably most profound is by doing a two-hour interview. And we ask them a series of questions. And we, there are many of them are open-ended. And the goal with those questions is to get a comprehensive set of data on how they got to the place that they are right now. And the reason why we're doing this is because many people will try to go do this journey on their own. Matt, you'll see them backpacking through Europe. You'll, they'll walk the Appalachian Trail. They're going to play golf or go to the beach. They might fly private. They might sell a yacht through the Caribbean. Pick the thing, right? They, all of these 
hedonistic, consumption-based activities to go find themselves. And themselves is inside. But they're trying to do it as a commando on a solo mission. It's so hard to read the label when you're standing inside of a jar. And they are in the jar. So our goal is to, one, get the mask off. Two, actually find out what the ingredients are in the jar. And then figure out how to transfer those into solving a new problem. I remember hearing founders in this space described as dogs. And if the listeners will bear with me, they'll, they'll get it. So if you've got a large breed dog and you don't play with them, one of the energetic ones, we'll go lab, we'll go boxer. If you don't play with them, they're going to find something to play with. Sometimes it's the woman's shoe. Sometimes it's the couch cushion. Sometimes if they're outside dog, they're digging holes in the flower bed or trying to get underneath the fence. But if you take a ball and you play fetch with them or you tug on a rope with them or you do something to tucker them out a bit, you will find that all of those activities go away. You're like, well, so what are you saying, Drew? We as founders have all this pinned up energy because we no longer have the enterprise that we founded to put that energy in our ball. We don't have a ball to chase. And so we go dig holes, right? We go dig holes and create all this collateral damage for those who are closest to us. And when we create those holes, we are doing some things that end up in some really ugly places. We can self-destruct and destroy a 30, 40, 50 year marriage. We can create a situation where our kids are ashamed of us and they don't want anything to do with us. We can destroy the legacy that we spent so much time working, right? We go from the person who was well off to the person who's poor. Like there's so many different things that we can do that just ruins all the work that we've done. And so it's my belief that we've got to find a new ball to chase. It's my belief that if we don't do that, then we're going to constantly be in a situation where we're digging holes and we got people yelling at us and that feeling of unworthiness happens, right? The rolled up newspapers coming out because we're in the kitchen cooking and we're not supposed to be there. So I, I am really excited about where we're going because I think we have a level of clarity and some specificity around this that I, most people haven't even considered. And you brought this up, but I just want to bring the point back, man. When I go, and I, I just counted it up, first 10 months of the year, I spent close to $200,000 in development between conferences, coaches, masterminds, et cetera, right? all the stuff. And I think I get to talk to some of the brightest minds in the world about business in general. And all of them agree that this is a problem. They also all run away from this problem with no hesitation. They don't want anything to do with it. They don't want to talk about it because it isn't a spreadsheet. It isn't a marketing strategy. And it definitely isn't people management. And so I just want the listeners to know that we are the solution because we're the only ones, and 
this might be a little strong, but they're only ones that actually care. Everybody gets compensated based on the consummation of the transaction. Yep. The financial advisor just wants the assets under management. They think you're a cool person, but if you didn't have the AUM, they probably wouldn't want to talk to you. The transaction, the mergers and acquisitions person gets paid if the transaction closes. The attorney that's doing all of the contract negotiation gets paid if, when the transaction closes. Just keep going down the list. These people get paid. And so they have every incentive to convince you to continue to go through with the transaction. The issue that comes up that nobody wants to talk about is when you realize that you don't have anything on the other side of the transition or the transaction and you freeze and say, oh, I don't know if I want to go. Yeah. And we don't believe you should be there alone. Well, no, they haven't been alone through the whole journey, man. That's the thing. Right. I mean, a lot of times, and you and I have talked about this previously, it is quite lonely sometimes being an entrepreneur, but you always have some sort of support structure in place, right? Whether it's, you know, when you're starting, it's a networking group, it's a group of friends, you know, and then all of a sudden now you've got your chief operating officer and your CFO and all of these people. And then all of a sudden, all of that is gone. You need to get that back. And I love the dog analogy. I actually haven't heard you use that before. That's very interesting. At a St. Bernard that ate a couch, by the way. And because if they don't know what to do next, if they don't find that next ball to play with, which is part of your process, right? Part of your process is helping them discover it's not, you don't tell them, they, they discover what they should be doing next. I think that's really, really vital. Now, you had said something earlier that I said I was going to get back to on this episode, which is time in emotional. So it's almost like an X, Y axis, right? So you've got how long you've been doing this and then the amount of the amount of the emotional, the strength of the emotions of when you exit, right? So if you're three years in, you don't have a lot of time, not a lot of emotion. If you're 30 years in, you got a lot of time and a lot of emotion. Talk a little bit to the audience about that, please. Yeah, man. So it's really... The connection. I think a lot of times in business, we talk about sunk costs and just kind of shrug our shoulders. The money's invested. We are not going to get anything out from a cut your losses, move on. I don't think that's actually a thing with time. I think many people stay in, let's just use marriage as an example, because it's the best one I got. Like many people stay in marriages because said better. Many people measure the success of their marriage based on how long they are still married. Hey, they've been married 70 years. I kind of look at them like, well, have they been happy for 70 years or 60 of those years? Or have they, do they feel like they've accomplished, like their life is better as a result of being each other's lives for that long? Or are they just maintaining the contract to say that they're there? People stay in that. And it's no different than the business, except with the business, when the business grows, it's easy for you to say, hey, things are getting better, right? And so when you continue to grow the thing, when you continue to see progress, you see it become more mature, it doesn't need you to do everything anymore. And then there's more people who come and then you become less and less and less important. There's one, <laughs> this frustrating piece is like, how dare you? be able to do things without me. 
like I'll, I'll never forget dropping the kid off at daycare for the first time. And they're like, daddy, no. And the crying and so on. And then by the end of about the first week, they're like, all right, um, you don't even need to walk me to my classroom. I'm inside the building. I'll see you later. Right. And it's like, how dare you? Like you couldn't, you thought you were going to die if I left you earlier and now you don't need me. I think people go through that as founders, but the more independent the business is, the more valuable the business is. But then the actual ownership of it. And, you know, I like the relationship comparison because, you know, I think slavery was outlawed a pretty long time ago. So we don't actually own the people that we're in relationship with. We're in relationship with them, but we don't own. We own the business. It's mine. And it's for me to do with it what I will. And so giving up ownership, I think, is one of the toughest things that anybody can do. And there are business owners who resent their business. And this isn't for them, right? When they're fed up, want out. I talked to a book publisher who just did not want to be the CEO anymore. And he stepped down and became an editor. You know, those stories aren't funny. He called the CEO job thankless. But when people actually enjoy it and they see themselves making progress, they get a lot of fulfillment from that. And so if your place of deriving fulfillment is gone, and we keep coming back to this gone place and the feelings of being lost, you're going to have some serious trouble. I remember when I stopped introducing myself as whatever title that I was, mm-hmm. right? And I stopped talking about work in general than the first conversation I had with somebody because I don't find that to actually be the essence of who I am. And I want to people to get to know who I am before they can try to figure out what I can do for them. I don't think many people do that. And because they don't do that, they have a hard time answering the question when they go to party or they're at the grocery store. Hey, Matt, who are you? It's not fun. And it requires some true introspection. And I think this in and of itself is the point. I spend about four hours a day working on myself. Most people don't want to make that type of investment. I think uh, my guy, uh, Hal Elrod, thinks your morning routine should be done in about 60 minutes. And so if we're doing four times what the miracle morning suggests, I think we're probably a little more intense. I think we can help other people figure out how to go on that journey. Yeah. Let's talk about, so, so we're going to, we're going to switch gears with this whole thing here because I think we've laid a good philosophical foundation and we're talking about the, after the transaction, after the transition. But if you're not planning for this during the exit process, you could potentially make some very bad decisions that are going to have major impact, not just on you exiting the business, but also yourself physically, spiritually, relationally, and emotionally, psychologically. Let's talk about that, please. Yeah, I call it collateral damage. And so if you, one of my favorite ways to illustrate this, and I was, I'm an engineer by training, right? And so I, I worked at a power industry and nuclear power plants were fascinating to me. 
And so I visited a nuclear power plant. We're driving in and the guys are standing there with the AK-47s. And I'm like, I don't know if I want to get out because I don't know if they're going to ever let, ever let me back out of these fences. And we go in and it's a complete concrete building. And the concrete is like six feet thick. And I'm like, well, if I wanted to get out and they close the door, I couldn't get out. And so they're taking us on a tour and they take us to the place and they point at a piece of concrete and they say, on the other side of that concrete is a nuclear reactor. The nuclear reactor never shuts down. And if it was taking it offline, meaning if the power that it's generating and sending off to the power of the homes and the businesses and the community that it served, stop taking the power, the nuclear power plant would continue to heat up until it eventually exploded. That's what we are as founders. We've got these, what I will call addictive personality traits, where we can go at a pace that others can't go. Some people will call us obsessed, and it's okay. But when we're going, as long as we have a problem, it's okay. But the moment you disconnect us from the grid, the heat gets stronger, it gets more intense. And we have to create, we have to build, we have to be source for others. And the moment that we decide that we're not going to be is the moment we begin to implode. And that collateral damage, right? I mean, you could be happily married for 25 years and then all of the sudden your significant other uh, and, and, you know, I think that's interesting because there could very well be spouses of incredibly successful people who are listening to the show and thinking, oh, my God, my spouse is going to go through this. They're going to drive me crazy. I mean, it, you and I have been coaching for long enough to know that there are people who exit and part of the collateral damage is the, your spouse is like, what What do you do? Get, get away from me. Right. I mean, you, you have been working 60 hours a week for 30 years, right? And now all of a sudden you want to hang out with me all the time? Or, you know, they, they're, oh, I'm going to go play golf. And they play one round of golf a day and they've still got nine hours left in the day. And that is a huge component of the planning that needs to happen. Now, as we wrap up this first part of this three-part series, I want to give people some, like a gift, so, so we've, I, I don't necessarily think it's been bleak. It's been honest and it should be eye opening because that was really the onus of this three part mini series is really open the eyes. And then th this last section of this first podcast is really going to be teeing up the other two. But what are just a few things that people after listening to this episode that they could do? to better prepare themselves emotionally for this major exit paradox? So one, they got to set the frame because a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I don't need that. And so I got a question for them that they should answer. Who's going to carry your casket when you pass away? Who's sick? You got six. Who are your six? And I haven't met a person yet who could give me the sixth name. They've never thought about it. Why does that matter, Jerome? Because it's my belief that we've been placed here to have a significant impact on the world. 
Yet we can't name six people who would show up on a specific day to carry us 20 feet, 100 feet, a mile if they needed to. So how are we actually making an impact if we don't know who we're impacting? So that's the first question. And I expect you to be stumped. So don't feel bad if you are. Once you acknowledge that, then I think it's worth asking the question, what problems do I actually care about? Like what atrocities, what wrongs are there in the world that I think nobody else should ever have to encounter again? And if they do those two things, Matt, they will be so much further along on the journey than I would say probably 90 Five, 97% of folks, because they are not considering these types of questions. They might be watching the news or their favorite game. They're not considering what the second mountains is. The ultimate goal is for the listeners of this to realize that number one, you are entirely not alone in this transition. There are people who are very qualified, very willing, and actually wake up every day to help people just like you go through this major life transition. We know that you are going to have very strong and a lot of times unexpected emotions when you lose this foundational component of your identity. And if you have a plan, if you have somebody in your corner who's going to be able to help you transition to this next phase of your life, not only are you going to be happier, you're going to have better relationships, you're going to feel like you're still driving as hard as you used to drive being an entrepreneur, you're just going to be driving it in a different way. Can you imagine taking what Jerome just said and taking the same amount of passion, energy, focus, and dedication, instead of just making money, making the world a fundamentally different and better place. We need more people like the listeners of this to be able to take that next step because that's when real change happens. And if you really do understand what we're talking about, Jerome, where should they go to find out more? The exitparadox.com. There they can get (laughs) one, a white paper that talks about the five mistakes every founder makes at the exit. And then deeper in our journey, they'll get our white paper beyond the exit. And it is the most comprehensive resource that exists today for the founder's exit paradox and what you need in order to navigate it. Dude, it's not a white paper. It's a mini ebook. I'm sorry. I just have to say that. I love you. You just keep calling it a white paper, but there's so much stuff there. And you know what? And and if anybody wants, please, please go to the website. We're going to make sure that we have all of those links in the show notes. Jerome, first off, it's an honor to be able to ask you these questions. Thanks for allowing me to help our audience discover this with you. And really, I just want to thank you for all the hard work that you do. Man, this is awesome, man. Thanks. All right, everybody. Listen, here's the deal. Like and subscribe to the show. Make sure that you're sharing this with other people who are, you know, on this journey. And for Jerome and and everybody uh, here, I will see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Your dreams should be real. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. 
Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.